Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire, where you get to get on the air, ask a Bible question, make a Bible comment. Um, all we ask is that the Bible, God's Word, the Scriptures, settles all, quote, arguments. All issues are settled by the Bible. It's the final authority. In connection with that, Revelation 17, 14 says, Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. We all know it is easy to call Jesus Lord, but it is quite another thing to make him Lord of your life. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? The implication is, if we're not doing the things Jesus said, then he's not really our Lord or our boss. Another passage making this same point is Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. The fact being, there are going to be many people that thought of themselves as religious in this life, but because they didn't obey God's will, they're going to be left out on judgment day. Likewise, it's easy to believe Jesus is king. But it's quite another thing to serve him as king, submitting to his authority. Many preachers say all you have to do to be saved is believe in Christ. But think back with me to the year 1776. Didn't the 13 colonies believe the king of England existed? Certainly. But did they want to serve that king? Do you see the difference in just believing Jesus is the king and actually serving Jesus as king? John 12, 26 requires us to serve Jesus. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. John 12, 26 reminds me of John 14, 1 through 3, where Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So Jesus is in heaven now preparing a place for those who serve him. We need to ask ourselves this question. Are we living our life in totally committed service to God so we can be there in heaven forever with Christ? Hebrews 5, 9 says about Jesus. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Another thing Jesus being Lord of lords and king of kings means is that we need to hear him, not Moses or other Old Testament prophets. On the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 4 through 5, Peter wanted to build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah to honor all three. But God interrupted him to say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. God wants us to hear Jesus, not the Old Testament law anymore. Hebrews 7.12 puts it this way. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. That's 877-655-6755. 
So what we've been talking about is the fact that Jesus is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And that means we need to submit to the Lord because Lord means boss. We need to submit to the King. It's not enough just to believe that the King exists. You have to serve the King. Let's look at some other texts that prove that obedience to God's New Testament law is required for salvation. Now, I did not say the obedience is the thing that saves you in the sense that it's, your, it's the basis for our salvation. No, the death of Christ is the basis for our salvation. Obedience to the law of Christ is a condition we have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. Isn't that what Hebrews 5, 9 is saying? What The passage we already read talking about Jesus. He became the author of eternal salvation and to all them that obey him. Author here simply means source. Jesus is the source of our eternal salvation. Unto all them that obey him. So only those who obey him will receive the eternal salvation provided for by Christ. Does the fact that we have to obey him to receive that eternal salvation mean we're the source? No. In that passage, Hebrews 5, 9, Jesus is the source, but he's only the source of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. We have to obey him to receive salvation from the source, Jesus Christ. It doesn't make us the source, but it does mean we have to obey him. Obedience is not the basis for our salvation. It's not what saves us. The death of Christ does that. Obedience is a condition, though, we have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. So when you hear a preacher say, all you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to be saved, and they mean by that all you have to do is believe, it's totally false. Hebrews 5, 9 says only those that obey him will receive eternal salvation. So all those that believe in Christ but don't obey him, none of them will receive eternal salvation. Belief is not enough. You also have to obey. Well, here are some other passages. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We've already read that verse. The only ones that are going to be with God in heaven are those that do the will of the Father which is in heaven. That's what Matthew 7, 21 says. Don't think I can just believe in Jesus and get by without giving him my 100%. Serving him with all my heart, soul, and mind. You can't do that. You won't be saved. Don't think I can become a Christian and then once saved, always saved. That I can become a Christian and now I don't have to obey Jesus. I'll still be saved because once saved, always saved. No, Jesus says here, only the, one, the only ones that are going to be saved are the ones that obey the Father. So to be a faithful Christian, you not only have to believe, you have to obey. And if you become a Christian and then later change your mind and quit obeying, you're going to lose your salvation. You're not going to be saved according to Matthew 7, 21. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. How about the first Peter, first part of chapter, uh, first Peter chapter one, verse 22? It says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. How do we get our souls purified from sin? Well, Acts 15 verse 9 says we purify our hearts through faith. So no doubt faith is necessary. We're certainly not saying faith is not necessary. It is necessary. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible proves that believing in Christ is necessary to avoid perishing and to have everlasting life. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But is all you have to do is believe? No. First Peter 1 says... Your soul is purified in obeying the truth. So if you want to be purified from your sins, you're going to have to also obey the truth. Believe and obey. Isn't that what we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8? 
talking about God, it says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to avoid the flaming fire, vengeance from God, which is mentioned as specified as everlasting destruction in the next verse, we're talking about H-E-L-L, the bad place. If we're going to avoid that, we have to not only know God, believe in God, trust in God, but we have to obey the gospel. A lot of preachers will say, no, all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is is trust. All you have to do is uh, know God. No, you got to know God and you have to obey the gospel, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. We got to take everything the Bible has to say, not just pick out one verse and act like that's everything we have to do to be saved. Take it all. Suzanne from Ohio, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Oh, uh, yeah. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on the scripture about uh, getting their name, getting our names blotted out of the book of life, because it's something that's very seldom preached on. You don't hear anyone in any church. I've never heard only one time. It was from a very old uh, preacher from Jamaica mentioned mm-hmm. this uh, scripture. You don't hear it in church at all. You don't hear anyone preaching about it uh, rarely. So I was wondering if mm-hmm. for the uh, listeners you could elaborate a little more on that, that it does indeed say that. And this and this scripture, I think, does in a way um, it makes it makes the once saved, always saved not make any sense anymore. Suzanne, you're absolutely right. There are six or eight or maybe ten passages that talk about the book of life. There, It's in the Old Testament and the New. It's always talking about, Basically, a book God has, whether it's literal or figurative, it doesn't make any difference. It's a list of the names of all the saved people, right, Suzanne? Right, yeah. That's what the book of life is. Now, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, I'm pretty sure is the verse you're referring to. Jesus is speaking. He says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So, the passage is essentially saying that if we overcome temp- overcome like temptation, persecution, Jesus right. will not blot our name out of the book of life. But what would that imply, Suzanne? If we don't overcome temptation, what would that verse imply no. about our name in the book of life? Yeah, that it's going to be removed. And it might it might have at one point in time been written in there. But if, well, it, if uh, we don't follow through in our walk and everything, it, it can be removed. It's not permanently written in there. That's right. You know, it's not um, that it might have been in there. To be removed right. from a – if somebody removes your name from a list, that means it has to be on the list to start with, right? Okay. I mean, yeah. you right. can't fall from a tree unless you're in the tree, right, Suzanne? Right. Correct. So you can't be removed from the book of life unless you're in the book of life. And the fact that these people were in the book of life, Suzanne, that proves that they were saved from their sins or their name wouldn't be in the book of life. Am I correct? Right. Yes. But now the implication is if we don't overcome temptation, our name will be blotted out. And if our name gets blotted out, does that mean, Suzanne, we're still saved or we're not saved anymore? Not saved anymore. So clearly proves beyond any shadow of a doubt this this theory that once you're saved is always saved is false. I, I'm pretty sure, Suzanne, this theory that once saved, always saved, it's not taught anywhere in the Bible. It's just wishful thinking on the part of preachers and believers. Yeah. It's wishful thinking. There's nothing in the Bible to teach that. As a matter of fact, I can find a verse almost on every page of the Bible that proves it wrong, 
but people want it to be so. They wish it to be so. They want to become right. a Christian and then live any old way they want to and still be saved. We know what the expression mm-hmm. wishful thinking means, right? Yeah, that's not it's, – it's not going to fly. That, that's what I mean, but it's like these people that they're taught and, they're, and they listen to people, and there's a lot of preachers on the radio that I listen to that I just cringe at. Because uh, they're just giving that good old message to their ears, tickling their ears, and getting all kinds of people calling in and saying, oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to know that I'm saved no matter what. And all this, and, and I'm just sitting there cringing. I'm thinking, well, this is a lie from Satan is where that's from. Yeah. yeah. That's, Here's another you know. passage that might help us to, to see that. It's in Revelation 22. Verses 18 and 19, it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto him, shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Here's the, here's the verse that talks about take, getting your name out of the book of life, Suzanne. Verse 19, If any okay. man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Right. And so don't we see from that? Mm-hmm. That yeah. um, that your name can be taken out of the book of life, right? It's not it's not in there in permanent ink. I mean, it's like it, it can be erased. Yep, yep. And if it's erased, just, that means the name must have been there and then got erased out. Meaning a person was saved and then right. his name was taken out. Right? Right. Which falsifies the whole claim of the one saved always saved. Yeah. Here's another passage. This is in the Old Testament. I mentioned that the book of life is also mentioned in the Old Testament several times. In Exodus 32, this the context here is when Suzanne, when Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments, when he comes back down, you know, the, the Israelites have made a golden calf and started worshiping it while he's gone, right? Yeah. So yeah, Moses is pleading. He's yep, Aaron. He Moses is pleading mm-hmm. with God. And in verse 31 through 33 of Exodus 32, it says, And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Now, God's not yeah. going to take Moses up on the, on this uh, suggestion, on this offer, but Moses understands the mm-hmm. possibility of you could get your name blotted out. Here's what God says. He doesn't take him up on his offer. He refuses. He says, The Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So there's a definitive statement that God's going to blot some people out of the book of life. Right. They're, they're in the book of life, meaning they're saved. Now they're out of the book of life, meaning they're not saved. That, again, proves once saved, always saved is false. Suzanne, thanks right. for your call. And you got any more follow-up? Yep. No, that's all. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Very, I appreciate that point. Revelation 3.5 is so clearly against once saved, always saved. No, there's no way anybody can get around it, right? Right. There's just no, no. Thank you, Suzanne. Uh-huh. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. There are plenty of passages that prove once saved, always saved is, is false. Like, let's go to James 5, uh, 19 and 20. James 5, 19 and 20 says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So 
the book is written to Christians. We know that from the beginning of the book. He says, brethren, if you do err from the truth, the King James Version says, if any of you do wander from the truth. Now, you know, if you have a child that wanders from the house, well, that's a bad thing. That means he was at the house and he left the house. So here we have some brethren, some Christians who wandered from the truth. That means they were in the truth. They left the truth. So they were Christians. The verse is really the main thing it's trying to say is we have responsibility to try to win that person back. It says in one converting, try to convert him back. And if you do, you save his soul from death. But what if, what does that imply if he refuses to be converted back? It says his soul will die and his sins won't be hidden, won't be covered. Obviously, he's going to be lost if his soul is going to die. A brother in Christ who wanders from the truth, meaning he was in the truth, saved, left the truth. We try to convert him back. If he refuses to be converted back, his soul is going to die and his sins will not be covered. They'll not be hid. He's going to be lost. Obviously, once saved, always saved is patently false. People only believe it because it's wishful thinking. They won't want saved, always saved to be true because they want to live the way they want to live and still be saved instead of having to live the way Jesus says you have to live. And that's the truth of the matter. Revelation 2.10 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The only way you're going to get that crown of life is if you're faithful unto death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. You have to be faithful. You know, sometimes we have this twist on the once saved, always saved issue. They say, well, if a person uh, becomes a Christian, or in appearance at least he becomes a Christian, if he falls away, that proves he never was saved to begin with. That anytime you see somebody that, that a Christian fall away, that proves they never were saved to begin with. And so actually once saved, always saved is true. They never were saved. That won't work either. For example, I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. And by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. Give us a call if you have a Bible question or comment. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Hebrews 3, 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So obviously we're talking about talking to Christians here. They're, they're, they're holy brethren. Holy means sanctified. They've been cleansed from their sins. And it says they're partakers of the heavenly calling. Only a Christian has partaken of the heavenly calling. Now, skip down to verse 12. He's still talking to these same people. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. There's a warning. He's talking to Christians. He says, be warned. Be careful not to develop an evil heart of unbelief and departing from God. Now, I have a friend in my area who has this illustration. I live near Huntsville, Alabama, North Alabama. You're not going to see any billboard signs around here that says, beware of sharks. Why not? Well, now, if you travel down to Mobile or Pensacola or Panama City down there on the coast, you might see a sign near the beach that says, beware of sharks. Because if you get out in the ocean, you may encounter a shark, but you're not in North Alabama. We're not anywhere near the ocean. You're not going to encounter a shark. So they're not going to bother they're not going to waste their money and time warning you against sharks. Apply that logic here. Why would God warn these Christians, and they're clearly Christians from verses 1 and 12, against developing the evil heart of unbelief and departing from God if it were impossible for a Christian to become an unbeliever and depart from God? If that were impossible, why does God warn them against it? 
No, the very fact that he warns them against it proves that it is possible. So it is possible for a Christian, a, a true believer, one truly born again, to develop an un, a, a heart of unbelief and depart from God. So just because one who looks like a Christian falls away, that doesn't prove he never was a Christian to begin with, doesn't prove it at all. Now, it could have been that he was a pretender and never was a Christian, but according to the Bible, many people who become Christians, truly become Christians, fall away and lose their salvation. And this is an example of it. Another example is James 5, 19 and 20, and the one that Suzanne brought up in Revelation 3, 5. Alonzo from Virginia Beach, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. How you doing, sir? Thank you for your call, Alonzo. Thank you Go for ahead. having me. Um, I'm in a car with my family, and um, I have a question about um, Revelation 22:18. So it was talking about how if you add a word to the Bible, it gives you plagues, and if you take it out, um, it takes a, book, a word out of Book of Life. So I wanted to know that if when you add a word, is it as bad as you taking out a word in the Bible? If well, you either preach one. It, Either one, and we can do this literally or just uh, effectively. Like, for example, Alonzo, are you familiar with the Mormons? Um, yes, sir. The Mormons in their Bible don't just have the Bible, the Old and New Testament. They also have the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, and the Doctrine and Covenants. So they've literally added to the Word of God. So people do that, and this is saying if you literally add to the Word of God, you're in trouble spiritually. But also, you could do that. In effect, for example, the Bible teaches in passages like Romans 6, verse 4, that baptism should be a burial. Now, Alonzo, when you when you go out in the grave, when somebody dies, you take them out to the graveyard and bury them. Yes, Does sir. that mean you sprinkle a little dirt on their head? Does that mean you put them all the way up into the ground? You put them all the way in the ground. Yeah. So, so Romans 6, 4 says we're buried with him, with Christ in baptism, and we know what the word buried means. So would that mean that in baptism we sprinkle a little water on their head or we put them all the way up under the water, Alonzo? You submerge them in the water. Yeah. But here we have churches like the Catholic Church, the Methodist, the Presbyterian. They teach that it's okay to sprinkle. Well, they may not literally be adding to the Word of God, but do you see, Alonzo, how they're in effect adding to the Word of God by teaching something is authorized that's not actually authorized, meaning sprinkling for baptism? Do you see that, Alonzo? Yes, sir. And then you could literally take away from the Word of God. For example, I'm thinking of the women preachers issue is one way I like to illustrate this. On the issue of women preachers, Alonzo, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, we have a lot of women out there that are preaching in violation of this passage, Alonzo, that verse is pretty clearly against what we call women preachers, right? Yes, sir. Now, they could take a word away from the Word of God by literally by cutting out this verse and the other passages that prove that women shouldn't be preaching in the church service like this. But suppose they didn't literally cut it out with their scissors, but they just ignored the verses that show that women shouldn't preach from the pulpit. Alonzo, wouldn't that, in effect, be taking away from the Word of God? Yes, sir. Yeah, so Revelation twenty two eighteen and 19, probably in particular is talking about the book of Revelation. But other passages in the Bible say the same thing about the Bible in whole. If we take a, add to the word of God, by either literally or by teaching things that are not in there, or we take away from the word of God, either literally with the scissors 
or by failing to teach things that are in there, then then we're going to be lost according to that. He's going to take our part out of the book of life, which means we were saved and now we're not saved. Does that make sense, Alonzo? Yes, sir. Alonzo, I got to go off there in about 30 seconds. Do you have any quick follow-up? Um, how you doing, sir? Just my family now. We just really enjoyed hearing your show. My 10-year-old daughter had a question, but I know you have to go, but hopefully we can get a chance to ask the next time. Yeah, I'm going to try to give y'all a call sometime after the program and connect up with y'all so we can talk further, okay? Because I've got to go off the air right now, okay? That'd be a blessing. Thank you. Appreciate your call. Before okay. I go off the air, let me, before I go off the air, let me mention, if you want a free one-hour phone Bible study, call or text me at 256-682-9753. If you want a phone Bible study, 256-682-9753.